you are listening to The Indie Says Operator, the podcast where we interview founders who are actually in the trenches. We talk about the transparent journey of how they build their SaaS companies, how they grow them, and what they would do differently if they would do it all over. Hey folks, with us today, Matthew Reed, founder of Pricewell. Matt, super happy to have you. Yeah, thank you for having me. Awesome, cool. Let's, let's dive right in. So what problem does Pricewell uh, solve for its customers? Uh, yeah, so Pricewell is for non-technical founders to help them collect subscription payments for their applications, so their SaaS application. And uh, yeah, for non-technical founders, mainly using uh, Bubble, the no-code app builder, um, although we support everything, every kind of app builders, It's kind of a journey that led us towards focusing on Bubble. Interesting, yeah, because they like the typical mix is like a tech co-founder and the founder, like the, the one person coding, the other person doing the marketing. So are those like really people with like a marketing or a PM background doing like the full thing themselves with Bubble, like building like actual SaaS applications or? Yeah, exactly. So yeah, our current sort of best customers right now are Yeah, people who are like PMs or they've worked in, in the industry and they have an idea for an application. Lots of apps based on like OpenAI, like ChatGPT stuff, loads of those because um, I have like onboarding calls with people and, and we, yeah, I hear lots of OpenAI stuff. So yeah, it's lots of people with non-technical background and they found Bubble is a really good way to get like an MVP or even like a full working application up and running and implementing Stripe uh, is a, a technical challenge for these people. So that's where Pricewell comes in and make it super easy. Yeah. 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 I mean, implementing pricing always sounds super easy, even though it's, it's quite hard to build all that stuff. So yeah. did, did your, like when you started that, Did you have people building no-code tools or like using no-code to build SaaS in mind from the get-go? Or did you kind of stumble into that niche of target customer? Yeah, exactly. We stumbled into it. So it was the originally I had the idea after I sold like for a small exit another SaaS that I was working on. I sold it and after that realized that basically I spent all my time working on the website and the uh, implementing Stripe and all of these things that were nothing to do with the building the application. So I uh, had the idea to help founders with some of these things. And I focused on pricing because I'm also kind of an expert at that. Um, and yeah, it was originally aimed at technical founders, like developers like myself. And I realized Developers actually don't care uh, about paying for something. They'd rather spend a week of their own time um, to implement Stripe. So slowly kind of moved towards, uh, I found the no-code space and we, we moved kind of in that direction and aiming at uh, Webflow and WordPress, but eventually found Bubble, uh, which seems to be kind of a sweet spot of the, just the right type of people who are, not technical and want to get something done quickly. Interesting. So just to give it, get an overview of like the, the current scale, could you just give us a rough estimate of either MRR, if you're open to share, or just like numbers of customers you serve right now? 
Yeah, we a number of customers is thirty over thirty customers, uh, over five hundred dollars MRR currently. So, but it's really it, we're over two years old, and um, it only started ramping up very recently as we kind of hit the niche because we launched on Product Hunt early this year with a bubble plugin, um, which wasn't the original. It wasn't the original product, um, but the plugin then really helped us grow the MRR. Interesting. So, I mean, j just going back to the super early days. So, you you said you had a small exit. Did you were you able to take like a a, a small break from work and and focused fully on Pricewell, or did you build a night nights and weekends? Like, give us a bit of like the builder or maker story of it. Yeah. Yeah, so it's around the time of COVID that I went down to four days a week on my day job just through like through COVID and I've stayed working four days a week and I spent this one day on working on my idea on Pricewell and yeah, evenings and weekends too. And so I've kept my job full-time, almost full-time job throughout and managed to grow the business and still work on it and still do support while also working another job. Yeah, let's maybe put a pin in that because that's super. I guess it's super interesting for a lot of people, like how to get started in the early days, especially us, like the indie hackers crowd. Yeah. So, was it more of a coincidence that that you had like the ability to to go like four times, like for uh, four day work week, or did you like not push but like proactively ask for it? Because I think like at least in my LinkedIn feed, it's like a ton of things about more companies doing like the four-day work week, which I feel like could be amazing for indie hackers. So how did you manage to do that? And is it as good as it sounds from the outside? Yeah, I mean, yes, it's definitely as good as it sounds. Four days. I, if anyone, I'd recommend anyone work four days instead of five days if you can. just gives you so much more headspace to be able to work on other projects. And I absolutely get as much done in four days as I ever did in five for my day job and it was yeah like i work for a company that's it's also an indie business or so it's a very kind of it's a very it's a multi-million dollar indie business but it doesn't have um doesn't have vc funding and it's very easy um to be able to take four days a lot of lot of my co-workers were and obviously living in germany we have it's like the legal right to be able to do four days if you want to so just take 80 percent of the salary and work 80 percent of the time uh, and so that was like a great option for really reducing the risk because i'm a risk averse person so I, i don't want to i have family as well two children so i don't want to uh quit my job and then start from nothing on a business so it was a super easy way to reduce the risk and Uh, but still get to work on my own business. This episode is brought to you by ReactSquad.io, the boutique React agency for SaaS startups. If your front-end team is overwhelmed and you need more hands on deck, go to ReactSquad.io and get a React.js developer embedded in your team in less than seven days. How do you think about the whole taking VC, staying in the Yeah, maybe not discussion, but just the decision for yourself. Because in the end, you're very experienced, so you could try to raise money if you wanted to. So, yeah, how how come you 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 chose the indie road? 
I guess it comes from, so I've worked for both sides. So I've worked for VC backed companies and I've worked now, my current day job is not VC backed. And I've seen the, the lack of pressure that you get from that because there's no pressure to grow the company uh, massively to go from, you know, 1 million to 5 million to 100 million over a few years. Uh, which we had at previous VC-backed companies I worked for. And so, yeah, I really like that that style. And just to be able to have a, I guess they call it lifestyle business, where it funds my, a business that funds my family lifestyle without, um, I, don't, I don't need a $100 million business because I just need to be able to, you know, afford, uh, afford to pay for my family and uh, keep the business running. So, that's like that's where I think yeah, indie indie hackers or indie businesses are are really good if you don't want to change the world it's like uh, price world's not a it's not something that's going to I'm not sending rockets to space, so I think it's perfect to make a a lifestyle business from absolutely absolutely and I mean getting the like jumping back to today getting the first couple of users or couple dozens for for you and the first couple of hundreds in MRR is like a very tough milestones for a lot of people to hit because I think we all have experienced building something and either, either not quite putting it out there or putting it out there and then moving on to the next thing next thing before we push uh, push through that um what like what do you did you do to like get over the hump to have like go from like zero paying customers to the first 10 paying customers Mm -hmm. yeah so i tried to be i read a lot more books about this since the last time i launched a, a SaaS, which that was the very much the first case where i launched it and no one came and uh had to post on twitter a lot about it and eventually found one or two customers for that previous SaaS. but when i sold it, it it basically had zero zero revenue and i sold the code to someone else who likes the idea but uh, this time I tried to do it slightly differently um, and it was very hard to build an MVP of something that's on top of Stripe. I still like to do quite a bit of code, um, but I had a yeah a landing page before the coding, collecting some email signups. And, but the original idea didn't, isn't what the final sort of the current version is. So it, it it's been listening to lots of feedback, speaking to lots of people on calls. I end up doing um, onboarding calls with almost everyone, especially everyone who becomes a paying customer, um, doing onboarding calls with them. And that just provides lots of feedback for um, changing the application in a way that works for everyone and doesn't, um, yeah, it, it's, Make make sure we're going in the right direction to fit the fit the market. We're still yeah, so we get the product market fit. Yeah, we're still on just that road. to protect the kill. Did, did you I don't know like DM people on LinkedIn or like in in mail them or whatever it's called in LinkedIn or how did you actually like get the those those first calls? Because in the end, like having a landing page up is kind of like the easy part. The hard part is like yeah. getting people on the landing page. So is there yeah. anything specific that like worked well for you that people could maybe also incorporate when they are like very yeah. early? Yeah, what worked for us was 
um, finding people talking about the problem that we solve on Reddit, Indie Hackers, Twitter, all, uh, all these social networks, and um, and then joining the conversation, trying to be helpful because I know a lot about Stripe, so I can also solve problems with Stripe, but also then recommend my solution. So it helps find help find the problems that people have because if the same question keeps coming up, then that's an issue. And then we're also just joining in the, the conversation there uh, and talking about Pricewell. And that's how we got the first few users. Um, and yeah, those people didn't become like long-term customers because the uh, it's, pricing is very tricky. Everyone wants something slightly different. And so we had things that some one person wanted and I would rush to build it because I'm a developer and I love that. And then no one else needed that feature and it was confusing. And that person canceled a month later. So they paid us like, you know, $10 or something as the early pricing. Um, so yeah, so it was a long road to get to where we are now. Yeah. And then now that you learned a lot, especially learned like who your target customer is with like the, the bubble users, basically, what's your plan going forward? I mean, like, Launching the bubble integration sounds super smart, basically as integration marketing. But like, what's what's your game plan from to getting like I don't know, like from five hundred to a thousand or two thousand MRR? Yeah, like we still need to like. It doesn't feel like we quite have product market fit yet. We still, I still have to do a lot of manual uh, onboarding and calls. So to get to something that's more self serve. And then go for so um, expanding to other no code tools, but also other payment tools, other payment providers. So every um, paddle or lemon squeezy also have the same issues that um, implementing Stripe has. Uh, so if we we aim to be the the platform that lets you integrate any of any of these payment providers really easily with no code tools. Makes sense, makes sense. And then like, how do you manage this, like the balance of still working on the product? Because you, as you said, like you don't have product market fit. You can, can't just say, hey, the product is as it is and I never have to do anything on it versus like doing marketing, getting new use. Like how do you manage like the, the balance uh, mm. of, of that? Um, I, I mean, I keep a, a Trello board. We don't like, I don't have a public roadmap because things change so often. Um, so we keep a Trello board of ideas and things that people had that came up through support. And um, if something comes up multiple times, then we, that, that becomes something that I would build. But apart from that, we just market, try and market what we have currently. Um, and we get these, yeah, these questions so often on, a, on an onboarding And we, we know it's going well when someone asks a question and I can say, yes, oh, we have a feature for that. You just enable this flag. And when we get to the point where every single call is like that, then we, I think it's, we're in a good position. Makes sense. So you basically say you, you kind of uh, go with the, the attitude of doing marketing and distribution first and then taking the feedback and only if the feedback is like super obvious. And there's like a, a big pressure or pain point, then you go build it. Did I understand that correctly? Yeah, 
Correct. And I also try and do the smallest things. Um, and so if someone's asking for um, a paddle integration, I'm not afraid to say, no, we don't do, we don't have that right now. Um, because I think there's a trap of, of going off and just building things just because I, I could build a paddle integration just because I could, doesn't mean I should do that because one customer or one potential customer asked for it. So I, I, yeah, only build things that are very small. If I can do it in a few hours, then I would build that feature. But, um, otherwise it goes on the backlog until enough people have requested it. Okay. Do you go by gut feeling or do you have like a certain number where you say if 10 people ask for it, uh, I go build it? It's really gut feeling at the moment. It's just, uh, yeah, me and my co-founder and uh, it, it's really gut feeling. So um, someone might catch me on a day where I'm feeling great and ready to code something. And if they do, they catch me at the right time and um, ask me something that was, you know, It's really nice to for someone to ask something and then a few hours later you already have the feature implemented and you can go back to them and say, okay, yes, it's done. Just click just click here and it's done. Yeah. And just talking about your co-founder because you, you mentioned uh, him, like how do you split the work between the two of you? Is he a developer as well or is he more like of a, like the marketing type? Yeah, exactly. He's the marketing side, so I'm developer. We met on Indie Hackers um, and yeah, we split it. So I'm doing all the development work and customer support because that's very technical currently. And he's on the, on the marketing side, so producing content. Um, uh, yeah, and also, yeah, interacting through social media. So we, we, we have a very relaxed um, atmosphere <laughs> and we just have a Slack channel. That's nice. I mean, it's like finding the right co-founder is always super hard. And like you met him on Indie Hacker, so you didn't know him like IRL, but like just met him online and then he became a co-founder. Like tell us the story. That sounds super intriguing. It was actually through another person I met on Indie Hackers. So I just posted the idea. This is before it even created the landing page or... Uh, so like or back in 2021 or like where are we right yeah. now? Like super yeah, exactly. early. Super early, posted the idea. Like I couldn't sleep. It was like 4 a.m. and I posted this idea on Indie Hackers. And um, like I can't stop thinking about this uh, idea. For originally, it was like Shopify for SaaS was my like idea, and then I slowly narrowed it down to like payments, um, just the payment part. But uh, you know, I met another guy on Indie Hackers who was interested to help build that. And he introduced me um, to Spiros, who's like the co-founder. And we, yeah, we have never met in real life. He lives in Paris currently, and I live in Berlin. And we just have a we have a weekly Zoom call and chat on Slack, and uh, it's worked out so far. That's amazing. I mean, how did you did you do anything for for those who are either markets or developers, like looking for this counterpart? Did you do anything specific to figure out from your perspective is if he's like the right partner or did it just click like, let, let's dig a bit into the details here? Yeah, it just, we just uh, kind of, it just kind of clicked because there were some, th there were things to do and he was on the marketing side doing already 
often in Reddit at the, um, in the early days. He was just in Reddit all the time on the comments, and uh, I was just in the sort of the back end coding. So it it, we, it just worked out, and we didn't. I didn't do too much thinking about it. Right. So you I basically just very, started working. Sorry, it's a very un unlikely story, I guess, um, and does it probably doesn't happen to everyone. I mean, I I mean, you you hear tons of stories of like either a couple of good stories like yours, and then also tons of horror stories with co-founders. So you just yep. like basically jumped jumped right in, started working together, and saw everything's going perfect. And then also again, like just for the people listening, if you would be able, uh, like if you would be open to share, how did you? So did you? come to an agreement and then started working did you start working and then come to agreement so just on the meta we i always try to go like super tactical and and like in the yeah day-to-day -day applicable things on the podcast yeah. because like on like high level stuff there's like tons of it out there so if you yeah. would be open to share that would be super interesting yeah we just started working together without i think too many people try and they worry too much about lots of things when they're building a, uh, a business uh, right at the very start. And the very start, that all there is is an idea, and the idea is worth nothing. And there's there's no code, there's no MRR, so there is no business. So we just worked and then came up with an agreement later down the line. I think that's a very smart way to do it because in the end, like if you have like long contract discussions, even before you know if you like work good together as a team, I think that doesn't make a lot of sense. And yeah. then just like look, looking like way, way, way ahead, like what's like the big vision? Because you, you mentioned like so shop being Shopify for SaaS, which is like a major vision. Is that still the thing you want to achieve in like the next year or decade, years or decade? Or like what's the big vision for price will right now? It's it's really focused on, um, yeah, on, on billing and on, on pricing. So that it's not really the Shopify for SaaS, and it's just being more the uh, just the easiest uh, billing solution. And um, yeah, for no code is is a big big focus, just because it's uh, there are other tools out there for for technical people, but I think we really are the only tool for non technical people. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I think the having the focus is great, especially if you go India and don't raise like a big bag of money from VC. I think going narrow is basically the thing you need to do. And then do do you think about sometimes or do you discuss internally if you should do like only bubble or like only webflow or only WordPress? Or do you just say, hey, no like no code pricing tools is like narrow enough? Uh yeah, we We have discussions back and forth about this. And we started, we probably started too broad. So it, the tool works for anything. Um, but in the end, what we're currently focused on is, is bubble. And, uh, yeah, we discuss a lot how to, how to handle that because all our best customers come from bubble, but we don't want to, we don't want to neglect the option for people who are using other tools. And we support all. We support a whole host of tools, and we have tutorials for different tools. But really, yeah, we have one focus at the moment, which is Bubble. Makes sense. Makes sense. And then, if you, I mean, that's like the typical 
podcast question but if you could do like one thing differently is there a specific thing that like pops right to mind or do you think just like this going step by step is just the the way it had to go in the end yeah i guess you probably have to make these mistakes but if i yeah with hindsight if i went back again i would go super niche and start like maybe the stair step approach uh, like rob walling talks about so build a plugin for some tool first that helps people with pricing and then that use that to find out the, the real like issues and if there's something that could be a bigger SaaS application. Whereas I went the other way around and built a, a big application that works for everything first and then eventually found a niche um, that does kind of work for us. I think that's an amazing uh, point to to wrap up. So besides pricewell.io, where can people find find you on like the intranets? Yeah, it's a that's a weird question these days because um it used to be it used to be the answer was just Twitter and then then it's like where else do you go? Like Blue Sky or Mastodon. But um yeah, I'm on Twitter, Matthew underscore Reed, and I post yeah, I just just talk about building an indie business there. Great. So everybody heard it, go to Twitter and follow Matt. And then Matt, thanks a ton for, for taking the time today. No worries. Thank you so much for having me. If you like this episode, you will love our newsletter, The SaaS Operator by Early Note. Get actionable insights from SaaS veterans like Patrick Campbell, Christoph Jans, and Corey Haynes right into your inbox. Your five-minute read every Tuesday for free. Go to earlynote.com and subscribe for free.